we are continuing today to talk about our mission defined. Now, we don't want to let you think ever that Fellowship of Grace has never had a mission before. We've had a mission since day one. In fact, we had a mission before there was day one. Uh, we, we decided on our mission much before we even had our first service. And I would even say that God decided our mission 2,000 years before we figured out the mission. But anyway, we want to talk about this every once in a while to just bring it back to our attention. As I mentioned last week, mission kind of leaks. It's like water in a bucket with a little hole in the bottom. If you don't come back to it and fill it up every once in a while, it just kind of leaks out. And if you've been a part of an organization that drifts from its mission, they get busy doing things and doing some things well and some other things not so well, and they, they kind of ebb and flow, and they kind of get off of their mission. One day they wake up and say, what in the world are we doing? How do we get here? Well, we don't want to be like that, and so every once in a while, we want to come back and just talk about our mission, remind ourselves, remind everybody who is new to Fellowship of Grace what our mission as a church is. Now, our mission is universal. It will be our mission, hopefully, uh, until the day that this church closes. Hopefully, that's uh, the normal lifespan of a church is around 150 years. So if we'll go 150, 140 more years, or technically 138 more years, hopefully the church in the entire time will be focused on this mission. And our mission is something that everybody should memorize who's a member of Fellowship of Grace. If I came up to any one of you who's a member and said, what is our mission, you should be able to tell me. Because it's not difficult, and it's very important. And it's really just six words, and it's these. Love God, love others, make disciples. That's all we do here. That's all we do here. Every single thing that we do, every activity, every ministry, every leadership development thing, everything that we do should be connected back to loving God, loving others, and making disciples, or we should stop doing it. It's that simple. Now, you may say, well, a lot of things we do maybe don't do that, but, and we don't want to get too hyper-spiritual about every single thing, but you know why we have donuts the first week of every month? It's not because I just love donuts and I want them, although that's maybe a little influence. The reason is because we love others. We want to show them our love, so we want to give them something. And so not only to you all, but to our guests, we want to give them something when they come here. And so everything that we do should tie back somehow to loving God, loving others, and making disciples, or we should kill it. Now I'll tell you, I've been in some churches that have been doing ministry for a lot longer than Fellowship of Grace, and one of the things we have to watch out for 20, 30, 40, 100 years from now is ever saying, well, that's something we do because we've always done it. We should never say that in this church. That's not a good purpose to do anything. Okay, If it doesn't have a reason and a purpose to doing it, let's kill it. And we have no problem doing something, uh, and, and when we discover that somehow it's drifted, it's no longer connected to loving God, loving others, or making disciples, we'll kill it. And it may be a ministry that you love, it may be a ministry that you think is wonderful, it may be a ministry that you think we ought to do till Jesus comes, but if it's not accomplishing one of these three things, we will stop doing it. And so we want to be purposeful. We want to be really dedicated to our mission. Today we're going to see what it means to love others. Last week we looked at what it meant to love God. It was a challenging sermon for me to both deliver and to hear. You know, you guys, you guys kind of get a break. Most of you in here only have to hear the sermon once. I have to hear it twice. And when it's convicting, it's really hard for me to sit here and listen to it twice. 
And God did convict me much last week of how I need to grow in my love for him. I need to grow in how I uh, not only feel about him, but more importantly, my commitment to him. Today we're going to see uh, what the Bible talks about when it talks about loving others. We're going to look at the same passage we saw last week because it's actually in that same passage. So let's take a look at Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, and see what God's word tells us about loving others. Here's what it says. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now we see in this passage, bless you, now we see in this passage that Jesus told us to love God with all that we are, our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength. If you missed that sermon, you can take a listen to it on our website at fogkc.com. But he also said then there's another one that kind of goes with it, and it's about loving others. And I want you to see that from this passage, loving others is a natural outflow of loving God and dependent on it. One of the things I really admire about Jesus is if you'll go through and look at every single time someone asks a direct question of Jesus, he almost never answered the question they asked. Have you ever thought about that? He said, give me one, just one commandment. And Jesus really gave him one wrapped in two. And you know, the reason for that is most of the time we're asking God all the wrong questions. Jesus answered this question about one commandment really with two separate ideas that really are packaged in one commandment. And based on the original language of these verses, theologians still debate on whether Jesus answered with two commandments or whether we answered with one commandment with two parts. It doesn't make any difference. We're not going to debate about that or argue about that. Both of these ideas are very important. It's expressed here kind of as one idea because they're completely interdependent on one another, on each other. Let's talk about that. Loving others is a natural outflow of loving God. You see, when you truly love God, you can't help but love people whom he loves. You just can't help it. In fact, I would even suggest that the better we love God, the more we are compelled to love others. The more we do what we talked about last week, the more we give our whole lives to God, the more we love him with everything that we are, the more that we act in love towards him and and doing the things he's asked us to do out of obedience, the reality is we just can't help but love who he loves. I've used this example before, but it's really just the greatest example of, of this kind of principle. When I started dating Julie, her and I both had children by our previous marriage. And when I began to date Julie, I realized very early, if I was going to love Julie, I had to love what she loved. I had to, I had to love her kids. I had to really love them as my own. She realized the same thing. And so as we grew in love for one another, we really grew in love for each other's children. 
God did a wonderful thing in our family. Our children love one another. They, they both love their step-parents. And we have a really happy, semi-healthy family, just like you all. Okay? You see, what I realized was it's impossible to love her and not love her kids. Folks, it is impossible for you to love God and not love the people he loves. It's just impossible. It's impossible. And truly loving others is dependent, I would say, on first loving God. In Romans, when we went through that book just recently, we talked for weeks about how our hearts left to themselves are self-centered. They are black to the core. We are evil and self-centered to our very core being without Christ. It's impossible to truly, truly love others with a genuine motive of love without knowing and loving God. It just can't happen, folks. Now, many people can do individual acts of love for others, but they have some kind of nefarious or despicable reason. It's just an act. Let me give you an example. Maybe somebody gives a whole bunch of money to a, a children's hospital, and then they go, man, look, look, what I, look what I did that. Look what I did for that children's hospital. Isn't that cool? See, that's not about loving kids. That's about, aren't I cool for being so generous? You see, many times things that, are, are, that seem good originally or on the outside, when you really find out the heart motive, it's really about self. And so it's impossible to really act in love to others without having a relationship with God. In fact, one of the reasons that the wealthy say that they have few friends is because they say they can't trust those who seem to love them because they always think they have some ulterior motive. Now, obviously, I'm not speaking from experience, okay? But I know some really wealthy people, and I've read about some really wealthy people, and many of them are extremely lonely because everybody who gets close to them, they just wonder if maybe they're not up to something. You see, what's in it for them? And you know why they think that way? Because they've been burned so many times with people being nice to them but having some ulterior motive in the back of their minds and their hearts. That happens all the time, folks. Real love's motive which is simply to love, only comes from a loving relationship with God. In fact, loving others begins by being connected to God through his son, Jesus Christ, by accepting the gospel, the good news about him, and experiencing his love and his forgiveness. If you're here and you, you maybe aren't a Christian yet, you haven't crossed over that line of faith, and you say, well, I really do want to love people, the greatest way to start doing that for real is to realize that you are a sinner, like all of us, that you can't do anything to erase that sin for yourself. You can't do anything to even the scale because there are no scales. And that by putting your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross when he died for you to pay for your sins, by putting your faith and trust in that is the only way that you can experience the forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God. 
Now, the moment you do that, you get connected to him. His Holy Spirit comes into you and gives you the capacity and the ability to love those whom God loves, which is, of course, everyone. So we see here, folks, that loving others is a natural outflow of loving God, but it's also dependent on loving God. We also see in this passage that it's the same love as loving God, what we talked about last week. We talked that the love used in this passage is agape love, not phileo love. If you weren't here, what we talked about is that uh, two Greek words uh, really are, can be translated as one English word, love. One of those words is phileo. It's brotherly love. It's being buddies. It's being pals. It's hanging out together and enjoying each other's company. The city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, is named after that uh, Greek word. Uh, that's a good kind of love, but it's not really self-sacrificing. Agape love is the kind of love that God loves us with and he wants us to love him with. It's also uh, the word used here for loving one another. Jesus said, hey, first, love God with everything you've got. But then, love others that same way. That same way. We said last week that loving God is not just a feeling. It is a devoted decision to committed action. And that's the same love that we're commanded to love others. Jesus isn't saying, listen, everybody wake up and just have warm, fuzzy feelings for everybody in your world. Just, just. You know, when you see your neighbor out getting the mail, you run out to him and put your arm around him and say, man, it's good to see you, man. I love you, man. No. You say, listen, make decisions to actively be committed to, to the act of love. Love someone is an action, not a feeling. Oh, it becomes a feeling. But we love people because we've made a decision to do it. Pure and simple, folks. Pure and simple. Now, it's fueled by our love for God, as we talked about, and he certainly influences our feelings, but we don't wait to love others until we feel like loving them. That's not what the Bible's saying. We devote ourselves by the decisions we make to commit our actions to others in love. Folks, this is one of the foundational principles of Christianity. If you live by your feelings your life will be messed up badly. Couples come into my office and, and they'll say, well, you know, we're just probably going to split up because we've fallen out of love with each other. No, you didn't fall out of love. You decided not to love each other. You made a decision to stop loving one another. I've talked sometimes about writing a, a marriage book and I'm, probably, I'm sure I'll sell a million copies if I ever get around to actually writing it. But it'll be three pages long. Because every marriage book I've ever read can be really honed down to three words. First page will say act. Second page will say in. Third page will say love. Because here's what happens, folks. When couples come in and they've fallen out of love or whatever their problems are, if I can get them just to commit to really acting in love, you know what happens? 
their feelings all of a sudden begin to change. You see, Satan does everything upside down. The world says, act based on your feelings. God says, we can control your feelings by the way that you act. It's very different. See, loving our neighbors is not something we necessarily feel, although that will come. It's something we decide to do because Jesus has told us to and because loving God makes it well up in us. We also see in this passage that Jesus commands us to love others with a concern for them that is equal to or greater than yourself. Look back at the passage again. Let me read it for you one more time. Look what it says on how to love your neighbor. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. What does this phrase mean, to love your neighbor as yourself? What exactly does that mean? Now listen, uh, we live in a very self-centered world. And that self-centeredness creeps into the church at just about every chance it can get. I've heard this preached actually several times, that what this means is to have, have a good self-image and a good, good self-esteem. You've got to get that right before you can love others. So really, you've got you to love yourself before you can love anybody else. So really work on you know, looking in the mirror and saying, you know, I'm a good person. Everybody likes me. I, I love me too. I'm a good person. And then you'll learn how to love people. Folks, the emphasis of that is on self-love is the object And it says it's a prerequisite before you can act in love towards others. While it's true that we need to see ourselves as valuable in God's eyes and valuable enough that he loved us and sent his son to die for us, because all of that is true, that is not the emphasis of this phrase. It's not saying, hey, you've got to have a good feeling about yourself before you can love other people. Think about it. With that emphasis, the subject of importance is really all about self-love. Nothing can be further from the truth than what this passage means. The reality is we all have a sense of taking care of ourselves even if we have a bad image. Now think about that for a minute. Ladies, I'm going to pick on you for just a minute. I can't imagine most of you waking up tomorrow morning and going, you know, I'm just not feeling it today. I'm just going to get out of bed. I'm not going to shower. I'm not going to fix my hair. I'm not going to put any makeup on. I'm just going to throw them the clothes I had last night that I threw in the hamper. I'll just dig them out, put those on, and I'll just go to work looking like I do when I get out of bed. I can't even imagine most of you being willing to do that, right? I can see from some of your faces, you're like, that's a nightmare. I would never do that. Okay, listen, I got got it. Now, guys, this doesn't make quite as much sense for us because some of us kind of do that at times. But ladies, you don't. You don't do that. What this verse is saying is, listen, there are some things that we're just going to naturally do to take care of ourselves, right? You, you, you just naturally take care of making sure you're fed. 
You just, you just, nobody has to tell you to do that. You just do it. Nobody has to, to tell you to, to, to shower and, and to look presentable. You just do that. Now, if there were 12-year-old boys in here, we'd have another discussion. It's a whole other deal. But listen, we just have this natural tendency in us to take care of ourselves, right? Even people that are far from God just naturally take care of themselves in some manner or form. What this is saying is, listen, folks, as natural as it is for you to take care of yourself, take care of others. We wouldn't even think about going a week and not taking care of ourselves, would we? Why is it we can go for months and never think about taking care of someone else? Like our neighbors. By the way, in another parable, when somebody came to Jesus and said, okay, Jesus, so you're talking about all these things about your neighbors. Who's my neighbor? Because he was wanting to know, like, what's the minimum, like, like, who are the minimum people I have to help? Can you point them out to me? Because I don't want to be helping anybody, you know, outside of that. So who are my neighbors? Define them for me. Jesus told a story, and I don't have time to go into it. But what he basically said was, anybody who's close to you who, who you can help, that's your neighbor. What? Anybody that you have the ability and the resources to help, that's your neighbor. Help them. And so what Jesus is saying here is, listen, as natural as it is for you to care for yourself, as natural as it is to have concern for yourself and take care of yourself, do the same thing for your neighbors. Let it become that natural. Let it become that normal. We also see here that a good start at the, the good start at doing that are one another's. Now, it's not in this passage, so I want to be honest with you. <laughs> but for, for some of us, we go, okay, well, where do I start? If I'm going to start loving others, where's a, where's a practical place I can start? Uh, you know, what do I do? Well, I'm going to share with you what you can do. This is a gr- great start plan, all right? This term, one another is mentioned 100 times in the Bible in 94 different verses. So it's mentioned uh, twice in six verses. You should use your Bible concordance this week or your Bible app and look up all the verses that say one another and just look at what God wants us to do when it comes to loving others and doing for one another. But for now, let's just take a look at a few. We don't have time to look at all uh, you know, 96 or 100 of them today. Uh, so let's just look at a few and I want you to see kind of their, they kind of come in groups or categories. About 35% of the one another's instruct us to and how to love others. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to count on you writing all this stuff down, okay? Because you can look all these one another's up yourself. But let me just give you a few examples. The Bible says to love one another in John 13, 34, John 15, 12, John 15, 17, 1 Peter 1, 22, 1 John 3, 11, 1 John 4, 7, and 1 John 4, 11. In all those places, the Bible says specifically, just love one another. And again, it's not saying feel good about one another, act in love towards one another. It, it says in Galatians 5, 13, through love, serve one another. 
Here again, don't serve one another out of some nefarious uh, 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 motive that you want to get something back. And for those of you who are salespeople, I know you're going you're to take somebody out to lunch. Why? To get them to buy something from you. I know how that works. It's called reciprocity. That's not why we love people, folks. We never, never, never should love somebody expecting something in return. If they appreciate it, that's just gravy, all right? But that's not an expectation. Look what it says in Ephesians 4, 2. It says to tolerate one another in love. Now listen, we all, let's just be really honest and straightforward with each, other. We, with each other. We all have people in our lives that are kind of hard to love. We've got to tolerate them in love. We've got to put up with them in love. If you had siblings, you know what I'm talking about. When you're young, you just tolerate them in love, right? We see in Romans 12.10, be devoted in love to one another. Be committed in love. Be committed to doing acts of love for one another. So about 35% of the one another's all deal with how to love. About 35% of the one another's deal with the church getting along in unity, which is an expression of love. Look here, it says in Mark 9.50, be at peace with one another. It doesn't say agree with one another on everything. We live in a culture that says if we disagree, we have to become sworn enemies. That's just not true. It's just not true. I've had children. I've had teenagers. And I know that I can disagree with them completely and love them completely at the same time. Those can coexist. Okay? So we can be at peace with one another. Even if we don't agree with each other, we still can be at peace with one another. It says don't complain about one another. James 4.11. Wow. Sometimes our favorite pastime, right? You know how bad my ears burn while I'm eating lunch on Sunday? I'm just kidding. I know you guys don't complain about me. I know a lot of pastors that say they're the main course at a lot of people's dinner. I don't feel like that about you guys. But listen, we shouldn't complain about one another. Accept one another. We've talked many times before, no matter who walks through those doors, it doesn't matter what their background is, where they're from, what the color of their skin is, how much money they have, uh, how they talk, it doesn't matter what they are, who they are, they should feel welcome here. They should, we should accept them here. Don't envy one another. I know what you're thinking. Okay? I know what you're thinking. But don't envy me over these. Don't envy one another. The Bible says to forgive one another, Colossians 3.13. Let's just be honest, folks. We're human beings, and we're going to hurt each other's feelings from time to time. We're just going to do that. It's just, we, we just can't ever stop that from ever reoccurring. But what we can do is as quickly as we hurt each other, we can quickly forgive each other. And that's another way to love one another. We see to confess our sins to one another in James 5.16. Now, we're not going to have a confess your sin Sunday and have a big line of people here and have everybody come up and share their deepest, darkest dirt with all the church. That's not what it's saying. What it is saying is, listen, there should be a couple of people in your life, a couple of close, trusted friends that you can share your innermost, deepest struggles with, be transparent with, Ask them to pray for you. Ask for their encouragement. Be real with. Listen, when we come into church on Sunday and we're all acting our best and, you know, all that kind of thing, 
probably none of us are exactly like we are all week, like we are on Sunday mornings. We should be, probably a lot more. But listen, be honest. You need to have a couple of people in your life that you can be transparent with and honest with and just say, listen, here's some things I struggle with. Pray for me. Pray for me. We see that about 15% of the one another's talk about showing humility and deference to one another. Romans 12.10 says, give preference to one another. Guys, just watch the cooking show every once in a while. Okay, watch one of those shopping network things if your wife wants to, wife wants to watch that. Ladies, occasionally watch a race or whatever it is your husband watches. Give preference to one another. We see in Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another. In Philippians 2.3, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Notice what, the Bible is just so wonderful. It doesn't say other people are more important than yourself, does it? What it says is, regard one another. Treat one another as though everyone is more important than yourself. And clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. That term clothe yourself means to, to put it on like a, like a coat. Okay, Take this coat and I'm going to wrap myself up in humility so that it, it seeps out in everything that I do. It's clear that everything that I have comes from God, every ability, every brain cell, every positive thing about me comes from God, and I give it back to him in humility. The other 15% are really various in nature. They kind of are all over the map. There's not any kind of grouping. A few of them are these. Don't judge one another, Romans 14, 13. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, 2. By the way, when it comes to bearing one another's burdens, let me just teach you a little bit of, a, of God's math because God's math is not like uh, our math. If four guys have a terrible burden and they're all uh, holding on to their burden at 100% and the four of them share with each other what their burdens are, they don't each have 25% of all four, so they still have 100. That doesn't, that's not how it works with God. When we share our burden, it's almost as though I'm going to take a third of it, you're going to take a third of it, and God's going to take a third of it away. And then I share my burden with somebody else, and it gets cut in thirds again. You see, when we share our burdens with one another, they don't just keep heaping up on others. They kind of get shared across the group, and God takes many of them from us. It says, don't lie to one another, Colossians 3.9. Encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. We should be encouraging each other. I think our church is pretty good at this. We need to do better. Pray for one another, James 5.16. One of the reasons that we have a prayer team here is because we believe prayer is important. There's a team of people that actually pray for those prayer requests every week. When you write it down on the back of that connection card and you drop it in the little basket back there, it gets put on a list for the prayer team, usually by Sunday afternoon, if not by Sunday afternoon, first thing Monday morning, and people pray for those things all week. That's because the Bible says to pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Listen, take care of each other. Open your home. Uh, share what you have with others. Don't be selfish. Be selfless. And then to comfort one another. Ease each other's hurts and sorrows by comforting one another. 
You know, we're not preaching this sermon because we believe that somehow Fellowship of Grace is critically lacking in this area or in the other two areas. We're not. But just as Paul told the Romans how good they were doing, remember, he wrote to the churches in Rome and said, you guys are doing a pretty good job. He wasn't writing because they were doing something wrong to them. He wrote many of his other letters because churches were doing things wrong. They were either practicing wrong things or teaching wrong things. Church at Rome wasn't doing that. But he wanted to remind them to keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing and keep doing it well. That's what we're trying to do is remind ourselves to do what we do well. Fellowship of Grace is a church where I think we do pretty well overall, generally speaking, at loving others. Now, let me tell you one area where I think we need to get better and one area where I think we knock it out of the park. Okay, One area we need to get better is all of you need to realize you are a part of the first impression team. There's a group of people that open the doors and hand bulletins and and greet people as they walk in these doors, and and I think they do a fantastic job because they're tasked with that job. One area that all of us in here could get better at, and by the way, if you're a guest here this morning, uh, just close your ears for a minute. Uh, One of the areas that we can get better at is making guests feel welcome in this room. When I sit up here most Sundays and we take that time of welcoming each other, you know what happens? You all run right to your friends and you want to see them and love on them and all that kind of stuff, which is awesome. But guests come in and they'll, they'll sit somewhere and maybe the person behind them or in front of them will welcome them and then they stand there. And I've seen people stand there for 20, 30 seconds. Everybody around them is hugging each other and shaking hands, and they kind of stand there. We need to get better at that, okay? We need to get better at that. At that time, you need to really decide to connect with the people around you that you don't know. After church is the time for you to connect with everybody that you, you know, want to spend time with and fellowship with. That's an area we can get better. But let me tell you an area where we knock it out of the park. Once... You join the Fogg family, I think you're pretty well loved. And if you don't feel loved, that's because you're hiding in a corner somewhere not letting us love you. Okay? Our church does, I think, a really good job. And I want us to keep it going. But it does a really good job of loving one another. Last week, I gave you an update on Dave Ross. If you weren't here Dave's been a member of our church almost the entire time the church has been in existence. Came the second week our church was in existence, got saved a month later, a couple months later, was baptized at our first baptism service with his whole family. And two years ago, Dave had a massive heart attack. Uh, They call it the widow maker because most people don't survive it. He almost died. And if he had not gotten medical attention as quickly as he did, he would have. His heart has gotten weaker and weaker over the last two years. And uh, they shared with him a couple of months ago that if he didn't eventually get a new heart uh, by a heart transplant, um, it would eventually take his life. So a week and a half ago, he got a phone call. He got a new heart. And I gave you an update on how well his condition is going uh, last week. He called me yesterday. And he said, Michael, uh, 
listen, I'm not going to be able to come to church for a couple of weeks, you know, because of the medication I'm taking. I've got to stay away from people and make sure, you know, there's no rejection and infection and all that kind of stuff. He said, I just can't wait. I, I can't wait to tell them thank you. Can I make a video and send it to you so you can play it for the church? I said, Dave, it's really amazing how God works these things out. I happen to be talking tomorrow about loving others. He's like, oh, man, that is perfect. He said, I've got to do this. I said, well, if you get it to me, I'll, uh, I'll play it in church. So I want you to see how well we do. Good morning, Fog family. I just wanted to take a few minutes of your time to uh, address you all. Because of my immune system, I'll not be able to come to church for two or three weeks yet. And I cannot wait that long to start expressing my gratitude for all you've done. These past couple years have taught me something that I should have realized all along, but I'm just too thick-headed to stay with it. Number one, if you put your full trust and faith in Jesus, you can do anything. And number two, I can't imagine a better example of the body of Christ than what you guys have demonstrated to us over the past couple years. It's just uh, unbelievable. Whether you furnished meals, you came and cleaned our house, you take care of our pets, you pray for us. Even, even if this is your first visit to Fog, listen to the sermon and look around and you are amongst some of the most Christ-like people you'll ever meet. I just wanted to thank you all again from the bottom of my new heart. And uh, we're, we, are not, we are not worthy and we are just so grateful. I love you all, and we miss you. So our church does a pretty good job at this, folks. But let's, let's be mindful. Let's be cautious that we don't become complacent and forget what it is we're supposed to do, okay? So think about how you can love others. Think about how you can grow in loving God, which will help you to love others in a greater way. We have, next week, we'll talk about what it means to make disciples, and uh, let's, just, let's just pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for just uh, uh, creating us for community. We thank you for giving us, uh, uh, helping us to connect to a body like this one. Thank you for being a part of the, what we call the Fog Family, Fellowship of Grace Family here. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to uh, listen to your word today, to have been affected by it, to have been challenged by it. God, help us to love others in a greater way. Forgive us where we have been self-centered, where we have been self-seeking. Help us to be uh, more selfless in our lives and around others. God, help us to love you with our whole hearts, with everything that we are. And then God, well up in us the desire uh, to just love others. Give us the ability through your spirit and through your word, the capacity to love others in a way that ministers to them, not for something, but simply because you loved us first. God, help us to act that way around uh, people that we work with, people in our neighborhoods, our family, people that we know for other reasons, in every sphere of influence that we have, God, help us to love others so that we can be named among uh, your obedient children. God, we love you. Help us do that better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.